Welcome to The Deep End, a podcast brought to you by DigitalOcean. In today's episode of the podcast, listen in on Shivane Ramji, DigitalOcean's VP of Product, give a talk on how to execute on creating viral growth loops and building products for developers. How is everybody doing today? Good? Yeah? Need some more energy. Come on, you've had some drinks, some food. All right, good. All right, before I get going, how many of you are DigitalOcean customers today? Raise your hand. Okay, I see a lot of, cust- a lot of people. How many of you are part of our Hatch program? Ah, really good. Thank you for coming. That's amazing. All right, so uh, you know, I'm going to talk a little bit about the lessons we have learned uh, in terms of growth uh, and a little background about myself. I've been with DigitalOcean now close to two years. Um, and, and I lead all of product management and so all of the products and features that you use every day. If you are a customer, uh, my team is responsible for that. And the goal today is to share uh, the lessons we have learned. Um, you know, there's some things we do really, really well, and there are some things we don't do that well. And I'll actually share uh, some of those learnings so that hopefully some of you can take and apply those learnings. And by the way, the learnings here are not just limited to if you're building a, a developer-focused product. Some of the learnings here are just generic that you can probably apply when you're scaling uh, your startup. All right, so let's get started with a little bit of a background on DigitalOcean. Uh, you know, our vision and mission is really to bring modern application development to every developer in the world, right? And the way we do that is we're leveraging the power of open source. Our innovation is is simplicity, right? Uh, And we strive to provide the best customer service that we can can give to our customers. And we love our developer community. So that is what we focus on. And that is how we differentiate everything we do, everything from the product experience that you get, everything from the interaction that you have with us, whether it's online or in person, that is how we differentiate. And we try to make our products simple and easy to use so that anybody in this world can be a developer and use our platform. We are a venture-backed firm uh, headquartered out of New York. But a few fun facts about our team. Uh, We're now up to about 480 people globally. And what's really interesting is that 60% of the company is remote. They're not in the same place. Remote is very hard to do. I was having some interesting conversations earlier with some of you. Um, but we are very proud of um, the fact that the company is remote. And actually, it reflects our customer base. In fact, one of my favorite things to do is to come to events like this because 60% of our customers are outside of the US. Just think about that. 60% of the customers are using our platform are outside of the US. So we're very much a global platform and a global company. And we're really, really excited when we get a chance to come out and talk to entrepreneurs, founders, um, dreamers like you, because all of your stories inspire us and really drive us to, to continue to deliver the products that we, that we deliver. All right, so the talk today, I've actually condensed three different talks that I've done in different forums into one. And uh, it got to a point where we probably had to pull some material out because it would have been a lot. And um, so we shortened the talk a little bit. And 
the goal of this talk is really to share the successes and failures that we've had along the way um, that you can essentially apply um, in your journey, right? Whether it's scaling uh, teams, architectures, products, growth, uh, culture. Uh, so there are a lot of things that are baked in here um, that I can talk about. And then more importantly, I do have opinions about you know, remote teams, about pricing, and a lot of other things that I probably won't get to cover here today. If you're interested, please come find me after the talk. I'm happy to engage and share um, at least whatever insights that I have um, as a way to sort of give back to our, our, our startup and founder community. Okay, so I'll start with growth loops. Um, I think some of you may have seen the, 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 um, the headline of the talk was, you know, how did DigitalOcean get to 200 million ARR without a sales team? I'm sure some of you are skeptical in the room because I got a lot of direct messages on Twitter like, oh, come on, we don't, we don't buy that. Um, but uh, it is true. We did experiment with the sales team, wasn't successful. We do have a customer success team, so it's different than having an outbound sales team. But I'll share some insights today as to why uh, that model has worked um, and uh, based on the focus that, that we've had. And so uh, officially at the company today, still today, no one has the official title of sales. So, so what I actually claimed in my talk was uh, factually uh, correct. But obviously, we, 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 you know, we always experiment and try to learn from, from, uh, from others. So, I'll start a little bit uh, about growth loops. Now, how many of you have seen this uh, you know, AARR metric framework from uh, Dave McClure from a few, about 10, 11 years ago? I see a few hands, right? And by the way, we, we also were using this sort of funnel analogy and sort of understanding how to grow our business. But uh, lately, you know, there's been a, quite a few materials published by uh, this you know, group of people, Brian Belfort from HubSpot, Andrew Chen, who's now at A16Z, was at Uber before, um, and Casey Winter, who's at Pinterest, and, and basically debunking the idea that you know, funnels are, were great, but actually are limiting, right? When you're thinking about growing viral products, you have to fundamentally shift your mindset to more uh, of a mindset of growth loops, because they are much better to understand, much better to combine, so you can get sustainable growth. And oftentimes, when you're using the funnel analogy, it starts to create interesting silos. And you know, how many of you have been in a company where, if you ask different people how the funnel works, you get different answers? Anybody in the room? I see one. I see one or two people. And this is fairly common, right? Because funnels actually uh, accentuate this idea of silos and thinking through, like, you know, everything is linear, you know, everybody moves through the funnel in a certain way. I personally like the, the uh, growth um, loop idea because it allows you to think creatively, cross-functionally, and it allows you to think about, it's not just about the virality of a product, but it's the product experience itself, right? And so, um, They've published a lot of material. I'm not going to cover everything that they share. They've, you know, some public blog posts on this, and they actually run courses and classes in San Francisco now around this concept. Um, but, but we've spent a lot of time at DigitalOcean thinking through growth with that mentality, and suddenly things really open up, and you can un truly understand what are the drivers of um, uh, your product growth. And so it, 
I'll share a few um, uh, loops that we've had working for us. Okay, so um, I'm only sharing four loops here. Actually, we probably have six, and we are probably cooking three other uh, growth loops uh, already on our teams. But we have, and you can't read everything here, but I'll, I'll give you some, some narrative behind each of these. So the first one is the content loop. How many of you learned about DigitalOcean through a Google search when you were trying to solve something? Raise your hand. One, no one else? All right, okay. So a lot of developers learn about DigitalOcean because they're often looking for answers online, right? So they have a problem that they wanna solve. They will search for uh, how to do this, how to install Linux on Ubuntu, how to configure Nginx, and guess what the first search result is? It's usually DigitalOcean, right? So they get the exposure to DigitalOcean because we are essentially giving out free content. And this content is do-it-yourself, very functional step-by-step -step content that helps you learn, right? Now, not all customers who come to that content will become DigitalOcean customers, and that's okay, right? Because we are helping developers, right, with something that they emotionally care about, right? Developers care about three things. They wanna learn, launch, and level up, right? So we're addressing their first need, which is developers are problem solvers. They wanna constantly learn. So if you're gonna help a developer learn, you're already building a very emotional bond uh, with the developers. And so this has been a great uh, acquisition and growth engine for us because a lot of developers, including developers who are uh, hosting their services on Google and Amazon, by the way, full disclosure, we've had developers who will tell us you know, I have all of my services at Amazon because my company wants that, but actually I learned how to configure servers or I learned how to configure load balancing or set up my modern uh, cloud native architecture by reading the articles that you had published, right? So, so that's sort of the first thing. So customers will find us via, via, via questions or problems that they have that they wanna solve online. And what happens is over time, a percentage of those customers start using our products. They start inviting their teams. Um, they even start joining our community and start contributing, whether it's articles or answering questions in the Q&A. And that starts sort of one um, growth loop for us. And that's a content loop. The second loop that we have is a referral loop. So uh, loop, which is, you know, if you're a customer, if you send your, a referral to somebody else, uh, and if they redeem that, they get um, $10. Um, and, um, and we feed that back, into, uh, back to you because if they are using the product and they're engaged, a paid user, we will give you additional credit. So this has been an amazing loop for us. Uh, so developer to developer, they share these referral codes. Uh, developers, um, some influencers send it to developers. So you know, in, the, in the developer community, we have a lot of a lot of people who may be very influential in a specific framework or language, so they share those codes, and so that has been a very good loop for us in terms of getting organic traffic um, and signups. We obviously have a paid ads loop, right? So, and where we give out free trial offers. So, so we also have a paid um, ads loop where we will go target users um, uh, based on sort of what we know about them, and they will sign up for a free trial, and once they use the products, they will convert to paid users, right? So, so long as the 
um, the CAC to LTV ratio is good, you continue to uh, fuel the, the paid um, ads loop. And then the last one is teams, right? This has been super interesting, and this was more in, in the, built into the product. You know, a user will sign up, they'll create a team, they'll invite other team members or other employees. So now you have more users who are joining your platform. Um, so this Teams uh, feature, which is more of a product feature, less uh, of an acquisition or marketing feature, but has been tremendous in terms of driving uh, growth, um, growth for us. So that's sort of the, the first sort of thing that I wanted to share in terms of you know, how we think about growth. And um, it's not based on a linear funnel. There are several loops that are working together. And when these loops sort of combine, the, the compounding effect is really, really amazing. And more importantly, it's sustaining, meaning you can continue to sustain your growth so long as the fundamental metrics that you have here uh, hold true. So, you know, one practical advice is you're thinking about your growth strategies, you know, uh, step back, think deeply and think hard about how you can create several of these viral loops. Sometimes you'll have one, sometimes you'll have two, and there are different types of loops. They can be, you know, social loops, they can be paid loops, uh, they can be just personal satisfaction, like personal motivation loops. Uh, you know, if you think about a site like Quora, right, people... People sign up to Quora and actually engage. It's because it's a personal um, achievement for them. Hey, I answered a question that the community respects, right? So there are different ways to think about loops, and, and I think this is really, really powerful, especially when you're building a product um, uh, in the current environment. Now, I'll dive in a little bit into the content loop because um, uh, this is one area that we've spent a lot of our time, energy, and investments. So a little bit of insight. We have about 2,000 plus tutorials published on our uh, community site. And we get about three and a half million visitors to all of our web properties every month, right? So the amount of traffic that we get is very, very similar to what consumer products and consumer websites get, right? There's a lot of B2B products who would love to have this amount of traffic coming to their properties every month. And, and this is largely driven by the content that we produce and the quality of the content that ranks really high um, in search results. And then what we found is that you know, half of our customers joined DigitalOcean because at some point in their journey, they actually consumed a tutorial, right? Um, so they had familiarity with the brand, they appreciated the clarity of the tutorials. And because we had an emotional bond with them, they said, hey, you know, I'm going to go try DigitalOcean. Whether it was for business or hobbyist reason, doesn't matter. Either way, they sign up and, and use our product. Now, let's talk about uh, what we have done well and what we have not done well and some of the painful learnings along the way. So the first one really, and I'll go through it in depth with each of these, but really, uh, you know, when you think about content marketing, everybody sort of says, well, you got to produce lots and lots and lots of articles. Everybody thinks it's a volume game. For us, it's not a volume game. Actually, quality has been more important than just per, uh, than quantity. Um, hiring the right team, and I'll go into the characteristics and the team and, and how the team operates. Um, and then for us, leveraging the community has been really, really important. So whether that was getting um, um, other developers to write for us or 
getting the larger community engaged. So we just ended Hacktoberfest, which is you know in its fifth year, and we, we do this in partnership with Twilio and GitHub. And it's just a month-long um, uh, month celebration to open source and encouraging everybody to contribute to the open source community, right? And, and that you know, has no immediate gain, but over long periods of time, obviously has worked really well for us because we get a lot of customers um, who would then want to use our products. And then measurement is really key uh, when you're building these loops, especially content loops. Um, and I'll share some insights on what we've done well and then where we, where we really uh, failed. In terms of the bad, um, again, measurement is, is tricky, but I'll also share some insights on where we, uh, we try to upsell uh, products to customers when they come, came to our content site. And you'll be surprised at uh, the kind of results that we, that we got. Okay, so quali quality over quantity. So the team very early on um, you know, decided that we had to have very, very high quality standards, right? Because when a developer comes to our website to, or, or to our content to learn how to do something, and if the, the content is wrong or it's stale or it's out of date, you're going to have a bad experience and you're not going to come back, right? So we've really focused on making sure that the quality of the content, the editorial um, quality, and, and how we build these articles in terms of being very explicit about each and every step, but respecting that the, the customer that's consuming this content is actually smart and very technical. Right? So it's a very delicate balance where you, can, where you can write something and it can come off very condescending, especially developers who are smart and they're you know, problem solvers. So it's, it's been quite a balance um, that we've had to have. And then making sure the content is fresh. Right? So if we had an article that was on a certain version of Ubuntu or Linux and then you went and got an older version, we get a lot of complaints that users get very frustrated. So, uh, we, we actively keep our content fresh as much as we can um, to make sure that, that um, developers get the, the best use out of it. And, you know, when we do this right, right, you know, you, we, we often get these, these comments, um, and they range from just, you know, first-time users to developer advocates for other uh, technology companies. And the reason why we get these, these comments, it's because we obsess over the quality of the content. And you can do a search in social. It is not uncommon to see, excuse me, it's not uncommon to see um, feedback like this where when a developer was in need, they got our tutorial and article and literally saved, saved their day. Okay, hiring the right team. So many of you probably don't know. DigitalOcean's first employee, actually first official employee uh, on, the, on the books, was a writer. And Atel was an English major, had no experience in uh, Linux, uh, but cared a lot about technology and cared a lot about, you know, she had written a bunch of academic papers and was published before. So um, literally, the team, the founding team at the time said, <laughs> they gave her this book, the Linux command line, and said, here's the book. Go read it, learn everything about there is with, with the Linux command line, and then write articles so that anybody else can, can actually follow that and do that. And that initial um, insight and, and focus on making sure we got the content right 
actually lives, uh, lives on till today. So when we hire um, writers for our team, that's the only job at the company that's open all year long, period. Like, anytime we find a good writer, we will just hire them. Like, there is no questions about budgets or, or, or limits or anything like that. So uh, this, was, this was something that we did very early on, and we continue to do so. And it's, you know, if some of you have hired technical writers, it's a tough job to hire for because not only do you have to like technology, but you have to love writing about it, right? Uh, how many developers in this room like writing comments or documenting anything? I only one hand, right? A lot of developers don't want to do that, right? So finding a, a person who wants to do both of these is very, very hard, but it's an area that we, we generally focus on and, and, and invest in. Leveraging the community. So, you know, there's only so much content we can produce from our editorial team. So what we did was um, we had a, um, you know, a, a writing program where, you know, you would get paid. And then more recently, we've launched the Write for Donations. And so the idea is, you know, you, if you contribute an article that gets accepted, then you get to pick a charity of your choice. Um, and this program has, has, has been very, very successful for us because... Uh, a lot of writers are like, wow, this is great. I get to do some social good with this. I will go ahead and sign up and, um, and write for the program. And so this has been very successful for us and is a model we continue to, to utilize in, in a lot of things we do. So community for us is uh, super, super important and nurturing, uh, nurturing that community. We also launched a Q&A platform on our community website, which is another uh, area where a lot of our community experts will come in and help others, right? So similar to Stack Overflow or Quora or, other, uh, or any other platform that you have, this gets, has gotten a lot of engagement over the last few, few months where customers come in and ask for, for help and then either DigitalOcean employees will respond or we will get community members, uh, members to respond. So this has been great for us. And then finally, uh, we just ended uh, Hacktoberfest. Um, we, we haven't published the final numbers uh, yet, but we broke every record there is when it comes to open source contributions, participation, and the number of pull requests, right? So this program is now is in its fifth year and continues to surprise you know, all of us because every year the numbers keep getting better and bigger and bigger. And not only are developers participating, but what we find is that other developer-focused companies actively promote these events. So it's been like a really, really good thing for the industry overall, not just for DigitalOcean. And this is, again, one way, when we talk about we love the developer community, this is our way of, of giving um, back to the community and, and contributing back to, back to open source. All right. So, the next topic, uh, the next area is uh, measurement. So um, how many of you here do content marketing and measure it actively? Anybody in the audience? I see a few hands. And what are your thoughts on measurement? Like, everything's working? <laughs> Dangerous. <laughs> Dangerous is a good, uh, good, uh, good word to use. Um, but, but like, what, what are the typical things that you, you struggle with? Attribution, yeah, there you go. So that's a good one. Um, and we had the same thing. So, you know, when we first started with, with content marketing, you know, it was very easy to say, well, you know, what is attribution? You know, what's the ROI? How much should we spend? 
So we first started with, uh, you know, sort of first last session attribution. And uh, there were a lot of issues with this, right? Where our model did not work, uh, we were not giving credit to the appropriate sessions along the way. And, um, and we struggled with sort of, you know, how effective are, are these programs where, where we're generating a lot of the, a lot of the, the, the content. And so uh, this required lots of uh, fits and starts um, until we finally got to um, a new multi-touch attribution model with sort of customized time decay. And where the model accounted for multiple visit behavior um, and the behavior that somebody will not consume a specific article just in one setting. Um, and and this really helped us fully understand the impact of content on our platform. You know, if we had not done this, it would have been very easy to say, you know what, this is not working, let's not invest in it anymore. Um, and in fact, we had these debates internally about this exact topic. And so, so it was very important and critical to get our data and attribution models right um, so that we could make sure that we were making the right uh, long-term investments as opposed to being uh, focused on short-term ROI. All right, so um, what about some, some uh, learnings and things we didn't do well? So, um, you know, one of the things that's very tempting when you're producing this content is to say, well, why don't you just put recommendations, you know, banner ads of all of our products so that anybody will sign up for the products. Uh, and of course, just like any other company, we're like, hey, you know, we should, we, should, we should try this. Why don't we test this? So this is an actual test that we ran on one of our uh, articles. And so you can see this is an article about setting up your server with Ubuntu uh, 16.04. And you can see on the right, you know, we were sort of just highlighting, hey, here are the products that, um, uh, that we have that you can essentially uh, use in, in conjunction with this, uh, with this article. Now, we did see engagement in terms of, you know, initial clicks to these products and people exploring, but we did not see um, any uh, statistically significant lift in terms of people signing up to the product, right? Because when users or developers are coming to our site and consuming this content, they are in a very different mode. And the mode typically is you are there to learn about something, right? You are not in the mode of like, hey, you know, like, hey, this is great. You, there are four products mentioned here. I will go start using all of those four products, right? So, so it's, it's a very delicate balance for us. We kind of want to help our users and say, we do have these capabilities that you can use. Uh, but at the same time, um, you know, we, it, it's, it's, it's a difficult balance because we don't want to be so overt to the users and say, hey, here are all the products that you should use because then we would be just like any other content, uh, content website. All right, so I'm going to switch gears now and talk a little bit about uh, product and all the things we've learned on how to build products for product builders. Now, obviously, our focus largely is developers, but some of the insights I'll share here are probably applicable to other uh, creators, whether you're a designer um, or, uh, you know, a, a game developer, right? So some of the insights here are, are applicable to other parts of, um, of the customer set that you may be solving for. So before I get into that, I just wanted to set some context, right? So 
Um, usually when people think about user experience, they're thinking about your perception or responses to sort of um, with the use or anticipated use of a product, right? And so typically it's like, you know, is it easy to get started? Was it easy to use? Um, and was it easy to get help, right? So this is certainly something that we have to think about uh, actively every day when we're designing our products. But we have a developer audience so we not only have to think about user experience, but there is an additional element, uh, and specifically with regards to developer experience. And the key thing with developers is that, you know, is that you know, all of the other things apply, but it's not just about the user experience in terms of a UI, but it applies to libraries, tools, or APIs. And more importantly, you want to make sure that it's easy to hack. The reason is developers love problem solving, taking code, improving code, remixing code to essentially get to their ultimate result. And so when we think about uh, experience, whether it's user experience or developer experience, we have to be mindful of you know, whatever we build, we have to think about this idea that you know, is it easy to hack for, uh, for a developer. Um, so with that in mind, um, here are some of the things that we've, we've done uh, that have worked out well for us, right? So the first thing is, you know, we, we want to make sure we're showing the right things. You know, we have a diverse set of users, and so we, anytime we are displaying something on the user, on the our control panel or the API, has to be carefully um, thought through because we want to make sure that in the context of what the user is trying to do, are we showing the right things to them? We also, I'll talk about object-oriented. You know, it sounds like, wow, this is very specific to developers, but, I'll, but, I'll, but it's, it's, it's beyond just focusing on developers. It's making sure uh, there is consistency uh, in the experience. And then keyboard friendliness. Um, if it were up to developers, they would never use a mouse, right? Like, they don't want to deal with that. They, when they're coding, Key, the keyboard is their best friend. And so making sure your products are friendly um, with keyboards, scalable interactions, um, and then you want to encourage collaboration because uh, you know, a lot of developers are, you know, chances are they are working collaboratively in a team. And then I'll share some insights into sort of uh, what, despite all of the things that we're trying to do and fix and improve, we still have tons to improve and uh, improve in our existing product. And I'll actually show you a few examples that uh, I know some customers are in the room uh, will probably uh, get a little bit of a laugh that, that we haven't solved some of that. But, um, but I'll get to that in a second. So, so the first thing is, you know, does it show uh, the right thing? Remember, we have developers uh, of all expertise and all um, uh, sort of uh, uh, tooling affinity that come to our platform. We have everybody from a system administrator to a Java developer to a Ruby developer to somebody who only wants to develop in Go. So the, the spectrum of expertise um, and the tools that they use can vary drastically, right? So we always want to make sure that are we showing the right thing to the users, especially in the context of uh, showing them components that are related to their infrastructure, right? So this was an active thing. You know, we've spent over a year now to make sure that the experience is such that um, we take the burden away and make it very, very easy for the customer to understand um, exactly what they're viewing and in, and in what context. 
The second thing uh, is around, is it object-oriented? So, you know, as we build new products and features, what was happening was that, you know, we would, we would have droplets, we would have floating IPs, we would have load balancers, we would have firewalls. And every product has its own unique way of doing things, right, or updating things. And so one of the things that we, we constantly are trying to do is to make sure that we treat all of these objects in the same way so that the, the customer or the end user knows that there is a certain pattern to updating uh, these components regardless of what resources they are, right? Um, so making sure that there's consistency and we treat all of these components in the same way um, and take the burden away from, uh, from users. Um, and then keyboard friendliness, right? So. Um, a lot of our customers sort of, you know, you know they, they are doing lots of operations. They're usually searching Google for articles. They're writing code. They're in the IDE or a command line tool. So having your product be keyboard friendly is super, super important. And when our product does not deliver on that promise, we will hear from our customers right away that, hey, this is not the expected behavior. Um, again, we want to make sure that we don't take them out of their, out of their flow. Um, and then the last thing is, does it support scalable interaction? So we have customers, I'm sure there are some in the room here, who probably have, you know, few resources, maybe three servers, maybe five servers, maybe just one server, and it's easy to interact with one resource um, in a certain way. And then we have customers here who are probably have, you know, 40 servers. Some of you may have 50 servers. We have customers who have 1,500 servers. You cannot interact uh, with 1,500 servers the same way you do um, one or five or 10 servers. But we strive to make sure that our interactions with those resources are scalable, meaning we try to make sure that what you expect, how uh, interacting with one server will happen, should be the same when the scale is 1,000, right? So this is where we do things like making sure the API and the control panel are, is uh, supporting uh, bulk operations um, and things like that. Um, and then finally, does it encourage user collaboration? So this is where I mentioned our Teams feature. Uh, a lot of developers love it because it's super easy to set up a team and get others using the product. There are obviously improvements we need to make to the Teams experience, but this is another thing that's really, really important, both from uh, you know, a, the experience that a team has, but also, like I'd mentioned earlier, in terms of creating this viral uh, growth, loop, growth loop for us. Okay, now, everything I've said here probably sounds like, wow, you guys have done such a great job, you know, the, you, your product works really, really well for, uh, for everybody. That's not the case, you know. <laughs> uh, We've been expanding our team rapidly. So right about you know, in mid-2016, early into 2017, you can see the history of the company. We were really just a one product or one feature company for a very long time. And so when you have one product, it's fairly easy to maintain complexity. But after 2017, we've gone a very rapid uh, um, cycles and iterations of releasing tons of products and features for our users, right? And when you launch so many products and features, you are absolutely going to introduce complexity into the experience, right? 
So despite all of our best efforts, I can assure you, if you were to log in and use our products, you will find so many areas where the product is not consistent, the experience is not what you expect, and that's because we have, you know, at any given time, we have 26 different teams that are shipping product features on a daily basis, right? So we went from a single product company to multiple products and features where every team is shipping um, features uh, to our end users. And so, so one of the things that, or one of the challenges we've had is to, how do we maintain simplicity when we continue to add so many products at a rapid pace, right? And so uh, about a year ago, we started sort of formalizing, you know, as, as you're building products and hiring so many designers and engineers on your team, not everybody can keep up with what your principles are and, you know, what simplicity means to them. So we essentially developed these uh, design principles, um, and I have two versions here. This is like the detailed version, but really um, maybe a summary version is easier is that you know, we focused on you know, these are the design principles that every product and feature has to go to, right? Automation, clarity, making sure we don't take users out of their workflow. Uh, product has to be trustworthy and building trustworthiness, uh, memorable and seamless, right? So these were specific principles that we had to sort of adopt and live by to make sure that every team that's shipping independently has some guidelines on, on what's gonna work um, for, the, for the product and more importantly, what's gonna actually be received well with, um, with users. So this was sort of one uh, exercise we've done uh, last year in making sure all of our teams follow these design principles. And the second thing we've added is we've added internal experience panels. So I kid you not, a product team that's independent of anybody else will go design an experience, and they build the experience and mocks or, or actual prototypes. They then have to go through a ceremony where um, <laughs> there is a team that actually critiques that experience. And if you do not get a score above 3.5 out of four, that means a product is not ready to launch for customers. That means the team has to go back, you know, fix the feedback that they've received. Um, and you know, every once in a while, we may have an exception, but largely, uh, you know, teams have to go back and have to fix this, because if our number one differentiation is simplicity, you can't have an experience that is subpar. And this was very difficult initially for our teams to say, "Wait a minute, you're telling me some other team is telling me not to ship products? Are you crazy? Like, why would you? You know, that, that you know, I haven't heard of that before." And it's like, no. If we care about simplicity um, and we want to make sure that our developers are successful every single time, then the bar has to be high and it has to start with us, right? So, so this has been implemented for most of our major products now, uh, and we continue to sort of refine and iterate so that we can apply it to additional features. And uh, you know, this is just an example. Uh, every experienced panelist will go and score how these products are doing against those design principles, and they give very specific feedback to the, to the team so that they know exactly what needs to be, what needs to be fixed. And some impact, right? Um, we've definitely improved uh, product experiences before launching them, so before and after these experience panels, um, and we've found all kinds of shortcomings, right? 
it's one thing when a team is focused on shipping one feature, but when you put it in the, the grand, grand scheme of the entire experience, you will, we've found like a lot of other inconsistencies and that has led to the teams uh, going back to the drawing board and fixing them. Um, we've also found uh, UI uh, inconsistencies and um, what you find is one team will um, call a certain uh, pattern or an error message a certain way and a different team will, will have a similar pattern but we call it something else. And so that was causing a lot of burden to our users because they were not seeing the consistency across the experiences. And so, and then the last thing, um, you know, this was very painful for the first four uh, to four and a half months when we implemented, but now the teams are actually enjoying this and it's fostering collaboration. In fact, there was a team that presented at our town hall just about two and a half weeks ago that got a score of 2.6 but they were presenting, they were very proud saying, hey, here are all the 10 things we learned and here's what we're gonna fix before launch, right? So it was a real cultural shift and change internally where they embraced a lower score, but they were willing to share all of the learnings with the rest of the team just so that the others can get better and not have the same, uh, same experience. All right, so I'll talk a little bit about uh, where, despite all of the things we've done, you will see that our um, product is still not good enough. In fact, I'm extremely critical of our teams because I still believe there are areas of our product that are still inconsistent and not right. So the first one is we've gone from a single product to multiple products and multiple features, yet if you go into a control panel, there is only one way to create products. Right? It's the same singular create flow that we had when we first launched our, the droplet, which was our first product, right? And you know, our products and our capabilities and basically our users have evolved quite a bit that this experience is broken. So this is an area that, that still needs refinement uh, and you know, is an area that we could, uh, we could do a lot better. And so being mindful that you know, we're not just a single product company, we now have multiple products and multiple features. The second area is uh, we still have lots of inconsistent messaging throughout our control panel experience. This goes from everywhere from uh, status messages. So here's an example, you know, like you can have a sign that says down, but it can mean like five different things, right? But we don't help users to figure out exactly what those five things are. And this causes lots of friction and pain um, from them. And so, so making sure that when we, when we share an error message or a status message, A, it's friendly, approachable, um, it has empathy for the user, but actually more importantly, it is helpful. Like the user can actually do something about it. And, and this causes a lot of friction on our platform. And then um, the last one I'll share here that that's an area that we, we could do better. As we've launched these new products and features, we have this thing called empty states in our product, right? And uh, the empty state will just either have, hey, the pricing or, you know, create this product. And there is no helpful information about what's the value of this product? What can we, what does it do for you? And what are all the different features that are available to you, right? Because we just say, well, they'll go read a community article and they will learn it on their own, right? But, but this is a big missed opportunity that you will see, at least our teams are working on, so that these empty states become really, really helpful 
in driving the value of what the product or feature is doing, but also helps you understand, well, if I use this product, what are the next steps? What are the articles that I should read? And uh, what additional information uh, that I need to focus on that would, be help, that would help me be uh, successful with the product? All right, so, so those were really all of the, the learnings uh, that sort of I wanted to share um, across the two areas. So one was content, um, building a content and uh, a scalable content engine. And the second one is really around uh, how do you build and design for products that are used for other people who are creators um, uh, and builders. Mm -hmm.